Thomas, I'm the youth pastor here. It's all right, Tom. Uh, yeah, we are in Isaiah 40 this morning. I hope everybody is having a great weekend. I'm thankful that we are able to gather here and worship in the freedoms that have been provided. Uh, but we're in Isaiah 40. I'm actually going to jump around a lot in the sermon, but I want to start here um, because the sermon's actually going to be on the Word of God. Not just from the Word of God, hopefully not just from the Word of God, but on the Word of God as well. So this is Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is uh, your word, and I pray that it be so. I ask... Lord, that it convict our hearts and stirs us up to love you, that it deepens our faith. Father, I pray for this morning. I ask that we may submit to you and that the Spirit grow in us and grow our hearts and our love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, the Word of God is central to the Christian life. Matter of fact, I can remember there was a time in high school where I... Uh, was kind of down in the dumps. I wasn't, I wasn't doing well. I don't remember why I was being a moody teenager. That might be just a thing that happens. Uh, but I wasn't having a good time. And so I decided I'm actually going to listen to her pastor at the time. Uh, at the time, I believe it was Rob Cox. Uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible. And so I opened up to the letter of James. And I get to it, and very second verse, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. And I stopped right there, because that that was the end of the verse, and I stopped and I was like, well, that seems kind of silly. Why would I ever consider it pure joy when I face trials of many kinds? Uh, And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to actually keep reading, because that's not the end of the sentence. And he goes on to say, For you know... Uh, that it, you gain your faith, that you, the testing of your faith, sorry, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, uh, making you complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. And then I thought, this is one of the most profound things that I've ever read in my life. Truly that night, I read the entire epistle of James. It's actually a pretty short letter. It only took me like 15 minutes. Uh, But I read the entire epistle, and then I read it again the next night, and again the next night, and then I went slowly through it, and I had to wrestle with a lot of things. All of a sudden, it was important. Uh, My words seemed to be way more important than I was treating them. And all of a sudden, I realized that, you know what, I may have some biases and prejudices that I need to work on. 
all of a sudden I encountered this passage that says, faith without works is dead. And I was like, now wait a second. That's not what Paul says in Romans. How can both of these truths be true? And I had to work through it. And for once, like, I, I really had to work through it, understand, one, what was James saying, two, what was Paul saying, and three, how do they work together? And that was a time of great growth in my life. I matured a little bit, as much as a high schooler can. I, I did mature in that, and I got, received some much-needed humility, and, and my faith definitely grew. And I, and I bet this morning I could go to many of our saints here in the church, many uh, believers who have walked in faith, and they could tell similar stories. Maybe not the epistle of James, but different passages in which they worked through scriptures, and all of a sudden their hearts really begin to change. And their faith really began to grow. And that the Spirit was challenging them on levels that they did not think they needed to be challenged on. And here's the main point of the sermon. The Word of God is central to the li our lives with God. That is, the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of the Lord is central to our lives with Christ. If we're going to say we know Jesus, if we're going to walk with Jesus, we need the Scriptures. See, the Word of God is central to our lives uh, because we need to recognize its majesty. When I say majesty here, what I'm referring to is it's really awe-inspiring beauty. The passage we opened up with this morning, uh, we talk about the flowers in the field. Isaiah talks about the grass and the flowers of the field. He notes, he's, he's saying, the world does indeed arraign itself in beauty. You don't have to go far to see the glorious nature of creation. If you've ever been on a hike, if you've ever reached that mountaintop and you peer out and you see other mountains and you see the forest and you hear the birds, you know, like that, that hike was worth it. There is beauty up here. I see it. It's worth walking thousands of feet in the air. But knowing our congregation, I feel like there are maybe more beach people than mountain people. You can go to the beach and you experience the same beauty, whether it's the gentle rolling of the waves or the mystery of the sea or the feel of the sand beneath your feet or the sun on your shoulders. You realize there is great beauty in the world. But you don't even have to go as far as the beach or to the mountains to find this beauty. There's actually a club in Sumter that focuses on gardening. They loved the club solely centered around gardening. And these wonderful people in Sumter just cultivate this earthly beauty, bringing flowers and uh, beautiful gardens that can enchant not just with the looks, but with the fragrance as well. And the Lord has made creation beautiful on purpose. They, they testify to 
the Creator's nature. It testifies who God is. In fact, Isaiah writes later, The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. A beautiful sign that nature itself points to the Lord. But we can take the beauty of the world. We can take the beauty of all creation. We, we can take the hills. We can take the mountains. We can take the shores and the waves and the stars in the sky and clump them together and combine all that beauty in one, and yet it would still pale in comparison to the beauty and the glory of God's Word. Because the world will fade. The world will pass on, and there are days, and it's not beautiful. We are in Sumter, and we know that in the summer, there's going to hit triple digits outside, and I don't think anybody goes out there and like, this is beautiful. (laughs) Those flowers in the garden, they're going to get toasted. But God's word will stand forever. It's going to outlast this world. There will be empires that rise and fall, yet the Lord's word will remain. In fact, we we had a testament to that this morning. We prayed the Lord's prayer. Just take a moment and remember, people have been praying the Lord's prayer since the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus giving us his word and teaching us how to pray. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, not only did we pray it together, uniting us together in God's word, but it unites us with other churches in Sumter that pray the Lord's Prayer. It unites us with other churches across the United States and across the world that pray the Lord's Prayer, and it unites us with believers going back to Jesus that have prayed the Lord's Prayer, and it unites us with believers that will be our grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren who will pray the Lord's Prayer. But it's not just that the word is long, or it's not just the word's longevity, it's not the fact that the word of God is just eternal, The Word of God is central to our lives for the good news that it brings us. It tells us about the God who loves us. Indeed, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we impart a secret in his hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, but Paul, writing in words inspired by the Spirit, writes a very hard truth. One, God has decreed for our glory. He says, not only has he decreed those words for our glory, he's done so in ages past. That those who may believe may see and know glory. It is a gift to God's people. It is a gift that we may know Jesus that we may be saved. And then Paul writes about the rulers who didn't understand, and he said if they did, they would not have crucified Jesus. Paul is... John, uh, John in his very poetic opening of his gospel writes this. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it, not overcome it. Now, any able preacher looking at just those few verses could probably spend months unpacking it. I'm probably going to spend about a minute and a half. I, I mean, I, re- I like to be succinct. I recently taught this passage to the middle schoolers. Uh, we went over it in 30 minutes, and it didn't help that I didn't have a flow chart. But the main point is this. Jesus is the Word. Jesus spoke things into creation. When it said, God speak, God spoke, and then creation, that's, that's a reference to Christ. That is Christ at work. You can take the story of the Old Testament. It is God's word pointing to Jesus. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing the shadow of the cross lay over it. Our Savior is the Word. Through Christ, all things were created. Through Christ, there is light in the world. Through Christ, there is redemption. In Jesus, there is good news of salvation. Our sins are taken away. In the Word, in Christ, we are given righteousness. There is purity here. There is beauty in the Word. Because our Savior, Jesus, is the Word. The reason Paul stopped killing Christians is because Jesus appeared and his words took the scales away from Paul's eyes so that he might see. So if you want to know your Savior, if you want to know who Jesus is, you need to know his word. Indeed, Stuart just finished the series on evangelism. We talked about how we're called to share the gospel. We're called to go forth with the good news. We want to be uh, welcoming. It's our joy to share Jesus. It should be a longing. We should be invitational and invite people to come. We should be hospitable and welcoming. And all of those amazing things. But to do that, we also need to know who Jesus is. Because... We're going to say, and we want to go out and say, Jesus loves you. God loves you. And then people are going to say, how do you know? And tell me about Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the word, it's going to make it an incredibly difficult conversation. But we do get to know God. We have a gift. He has revealed himself to us. For the Word of God is central to our lives, and it helps us know our Savior. You know, as believers, we should seek after the Lord. We should go and pursue Christ the way he pursues us. And I I don't think that's too profound of a statement. Uh, Whenever we get excited about something or someone, uh, if we profess love or passion for something, generally speaking, we want to know more. 
Uh, he's not here this morning, but I did ask for his permission about this. Uh, our friend and brother Charles loves Godzilla. I don't know if you know this, but he's a big fan of Godzilla. I grew up liking Godzilla. Charles grew up loving Godzilla. And even this week, he listed all the Godzilla. He rated them based on each series, with which mainly there are three. And I, eventually, I'm going to have a conversation with him about the 21st century Godzilla movies, because I don't agree with his order. But a conversation with Charles about Godzilla is an easy conversation to have. Because he's passionate about it. When we have a conversation about the things we are passionate about, it tends to be a lot easier. If we're going to have conversations about Jesus, we should be passionate about Jesus. And if we're passionate about Jesus, we need to know who he is. If we're going to say we love the Lord, that should lead to diligent study and understanding of the basic message of God's Word. We should want to know Christ. Notice how the apostles approached Jesus. They were with Jesus for three years, and if you read through the gospel, they are constantly peppering him with questions. They're always asking him, uh, Jesus may something, say something incredibly profound, like, I and the Father are one, and Philip's going, how do we know who the Father is? Because Philip wants to understand. Sometimes their questions get a little silly. They go, so who can sit next to you in heaven? They ask these questions because they're passionate. They go to Jesus with their troubles. How can we feed so many people? And in that, they learn more about Jesus. My favorite question usually is, so what does that story mean? They continue to ask questions, and Jesus, out of his love for his people, continued to answer He's given us his, his word. He's given us this letter. He's revealed himself to us through scriptures. And so we should dwell in, we should sit in, meditate on, read, pray over. All of those wonderful things we should... The word of God should be central to our lives. Because the scriptures are glorious. And the word of God being central to the Christian life, that leads to, only, that leads to a deeper faith and love for Jesus and for others. So after the apostles, the next wave were starting to come, and Timothy was going to plant a church. Timothy, who was a disciple of Paul, uh, was having a hard time planning a church. And so Paul writes him, and in the middle of the second letter, he says this, As for you, as you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy is trying to plan a church. That's a difficult thing to do. Uh, maintaining a church is a difficult thing to do. Growing a church is a difficult task to do. Planning a church from scratch is challenging and it pushes faith in so many unexpected ways. Because you just don't see what could come up. Yet Paul, in his encouragement to Timothy, he doesn't try to hit after every single thing that could possibly bother Timothy or trip him up. Instead, he says, no, remember the scriptures. Remember the sacred writings. Keep going to them. Because it's good. All of it is good. It will make you wise. It's going to help you understand your own salvation so you can share your salvation with others. And equips you for every good work. Which is... That's an astounding thing, to be equipped for every good work. Now, I do want to be clear on this. When I say it equips us for every good work, it doesn't mean that Scripture actually covers everything. Like, I could read it backwards and forward in the Greek and the Hebrew, but it's not going to tell me how to fix uh, my faucet in my guest bathroom that's uh, the hot water keeps dripping. Every time I walk by, it's just a soft little plop, and it gets under my skin. At some point, I'm going to have to talk with Brother Joel on how to fix that. No, scriptures, that's, that's not the role of scripture. No, when Paul says it equips us for every good work, it's where we're going to find the wisdom to know how to glorify him. The knowledge and understanding to glorify Jesus and to love God who loves his people. It helps us step out in faith because it teaches us we, we don't step out on our own. In fact, in Job 23, Job going through a really terrible time, talks about even though he can't see God or perceive him to the front, left, right, behind him, he doesn't know that he can't see God anywhere in his life. Yet in God's already tells us Job says, but I know you are there. The word encourages us. Whether we're stepping out in faith or huddled in, that the Lord is with us. And lets us know who God is and how he loves his people. So we should work through scriptures. Make it a part of our daily lives. Uh, put it, make it so it's written upon our hearts. It's good to go in slowly, line by line, although, yeah, it's good to go in slowly, line by line. Use different translations. Not everything has to be ESV. If you want something more literal, you can go to the New American Standard. If you want something a little easier to read, try the New Living Translation. And compare them side by side so that you can have a deeper understanding of God's Word. Read through it quickly. Read whole letters. 
That's how letters, like, most of the New Testaments are letters written. I mean, that's how letters are read. When I receive a letter, I don't read, like, the first paragraph and I stop. I'm like, all right, I'm going to think really hard on this. No, I read the whole letter. And likewise, when you read whole books, and it helps you with context and helps you understand what uh, the writer is really going after, what the Spirit is trying to say. Memorize verses. Take time. Go through. Slowly commit it to your heart and mind that you may chew on and be blessed by the Word of God. Memorize whole books. You can start with 3 John. It's like 15 verses. Get it done and boom, you've memorized a whole book of the Bible. These are good things. These are things that the Word encourages us to do. Now, I do want to take a moment and talk about the fact that there are are difficult and hard passages in Scripture. There are stories and verses that I'm going to go ahead and say they're probably going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to go there and say, I don't like that. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. And we know this because the people in the Bible talk about God's Word being difficult. My favorite might be Jeremiah. I'll never, I don't know if I'll ever get over this. God, going to Jeremiah, is extending calling. He's like, I want you to take my word to my people. And Jeremiah's response is, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am young. I mean, that's a man trying to get out of some work, and I appreciate that. He knows how difficult it's going to be. He knows that, truly, sometimes people do not want to hear the word of God. Of course, God responds like, no, no, I'll give you the words to say. Don't worry about that. Jeremiah, he ends up writing the longest book in Scripture. He certainly has the longest direct quote of God in Scripture. But it's not just an Old Testament thing. I know the Old Testament's hard to read. Sometimes you just need to know all the histories and uh, who was brother to who ten generations before. Old Testament, of course, can be confusing. But it's also a New Testament thing as well. Peter, in his second letter, is writing about Paul and says this. There are some things in them, that is Paul's letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Now let's remember, Peter spent three years under the ministry of Jesus, peppered him with all kinds of questions, was blessed by the Holy Spirit with divine understanding, preached a Pentecostal sermon in which thousands were converted, and when it comes to Paul's letter, he's like, yeah, sometimes they're difficult to know and understand. Yeah, and Scripture can be difficult and hard. And I want to encourage us this morning, don't run away from those passages. I think that's our first instinct. To say, well, maybe that really doesn't apply to us now, or I don't want to deal with that. Let me go find something that is warm and comforting. But as a recent theologian, R.C. Sproul, said, those are good passages. 
You need to go and understand them. When you find the passages where you're like, I disagree with what's being said here, he, Sproul's like, no, no, no. You should go and make sure you understand. Wrestle with them. First, make sure you understand what it's saying. Understand the context in which they're being delivered. And I can't stress how important context is. I, I can't express enough how important context is. And youth will tell you, context is key. Indeed, uh, if you take verses out of context, you, you start to end up in very strange places. I had a professor tell me a story of one of his congregants. Uh, they read, they were trying to sell their home, and I guess they were recently going through Joshua, and they read about the Battle of Jericho. And if you're unfamiliar with Jericho, the Israelites were trying to conquer Jericho, and so what they did is they walked around the wall seven times, blowing their trumpets, and the wall collapses. And so this family thinking, you know what, we want God's blessing, let's walk around our house seven times so the Lord may bless the sale of the house. And the professor went to him and said, okay, um, it's good that you're reading scripture, but I don't think you understand what's really going on in that verse, and I would like to tell you that the house brings more value on the market if it's upright. So understand what a passage is saying. Make sure you take the time and study to understand what God's word is guiding you, and they're guiding God's people. Have conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before you, who have dwelled in God's word longer and have studied more. Seek their wisdom. Come to the leaders of the church. Go find an elder or steward or myself. Read commentaries or articles. Seek to understand God's word. You might find out, actually, I do agree with what it's saying. And that's good. If that happens, great. But you may come to understand it, and you're like, I still have a problem with this. And I tell you, that's good too. Because when you begin to wrestle and you see that your values and the Lord's values are not in the line, that's when the Lord really begins to work on your sanctification. That's when he really begins to work in growing your faith. It, I'm not going to lie, it may take years. It is not an easy process. But it is a good one, and it deepens our faith. Because when we find out where we're not like Jesus, because remember, Jesus is the word, as John has said, if we disagree with the word, then all of a sudden we are in contention with our Savior. So if we find out where we're not like Jesus, that's good, because that means we can start putting on the new self. The self that God, who, the person who God wants us to be. That our heart may deepen, our love for the Lord may grow. You see, you look through Scripture, and it's under the Word of God that men and women grow. It's under the Word of God that Noah builds an ark. It's under the Word of God that Abraham moves his family. It's under the Word of God that David repents. It's under Jesus' Word that 
Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you three different times. It's under the word of God that the prophets and the apostles submit themselves. It's under the word of God in which we become more Christ-like. The word of God is central to our lives with God. It's a beautiful gift from the Lord. It's there that we may know Jesus. We may know who our Savior is. We may know how he loves us. It is there that we may grow in our faith, that we may know how we may love him, how we may love others. For the word of God is central to our lives, and it is central to the lives of every believer. Now let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask uh, that the Word of God be central to our lives. That the Holy Scripture take root in our hearts. That we may love you well. Lord, give us a desire to know and study your Word. To let us know and you, the love of Jesus, a life filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.